you take your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse 12. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. By all means, take that Bible and uh, use it. Not only now, but uh, you're free to take that as a gift from us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Father, thank you so much for your word, and, and we ask that your spirit would teach us, teach some here who need to come to Christ for forgiveness, teach us to know Christ, a responsibility to do battle against sin. And so Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, thank you for preserving it, thank you that we have a Bible that can be trusted, a Bible that uh, will never lead us astray and that is very breathed by you. May we handle it with reverence. May we listen uh, with the fear of God upon us, uh, that we realize that we are not just listening to a man, but the very God, the very creator, the very redeemer himself speaks through his word. And so may we handle every one of us with listening ears uh, that are bathed in reverence for you. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we continue our march through Romans. Uh, and we're in, uh, we've been in chapter 6 for some time. And uh, uh, that will continue. Uh, we are going to stay in this. Because Romans 6, in, in my estimation, is one of the most important chapters in the Bible to live the Christian life. Uh, Romans chapter 6 uh, describes what happens to us. Uh, at new birth, our union in Christ, and then it also drives us to see how that's fleshed out. Uh, it's, uh, it, there's application, as we will see, beginning today. In verse 12 uh, through 14, there's a new section. Uh, this section is divided in three separate ones. Uh, we have 1 through 11 uh, is, um, is the section that tells us about the two humanities in the world, there is not multiple, multiple uh, things out there. Uh, there are only two humanities. There are those who are in Adam, dead in sin, and there are those who are in Christ, alive unto God. Those are the only two. Uh, but if you look in verse 12, you'll see the word therefore. Um, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Uh, therefore uh, appears uh, numerous times in the early stages of Romans. In chapter 5, uh, verse 12, you'll see another therefore, and another one in verse 18 of chapter 5. And so these are like bridges, uh, and they are linked together. Um, Romans cha chapter 5, in verse 12, uh, is equally connected to Romans 6, chapter 12. Romans uh, 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sin for... And it goes on, and then in verse uh, 12 of chapter 6, we have that sin shall not reign. So there's a contrast, but there's a connection. And what we see here then, as I mentioned in chapter 5, is the identities. The identities of those in Adam and in Christ. And what we have then in chapter 6, verse 1 and 10, uh, leading up to the summary verse of chapter 11 is we find our position. 
we find what happens to the Christian. Uh, if you're not in Adam anymore because of faith in Christ, you became a new creature. Well, Romans 6, 1 through 10 tells us what happens. Is that we died with Christ, we rose with Christ to walk in a newness of life. And so then in verse 11, um, uh, we are going to get to 12 and 14. I'm just trying to lay some foundation here. I want you to understand that we have to see where we are. We have to see we are either in the humanity of Adam dead in sins and trespasses, and we can't do anything about that. And then we have to see that God has so loved us that he placed us, uh, he's given us the position in Christ by faith so that the Adam is gone, and now we're in this new person of the Lord Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about moral reformation. It's about new birth placing you in Christ. And just like your physical birth, your spiritual birth, you have no responsibility or ability to affect that in your life. And so in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 6, Paul is telling us that it is absolutely insane for you to think that you can act like Adam and be in Christ. That it's impossible for you to continue in patterns of sin if you indeed have been born again and placed in Christ. Now we will see that this battle is ongoing. It's not a complete eradication. I certainly wish that was true. Uh, I wish that we would get saved and sin was forever gone. Uh, that's for heaven. That's not for now. But what we have then in verse 11 is the summary. He says, So then, in light of the fact that you are in Christ and that you've been raised with Him, death under resurrection, so then you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now the word consider is so important uh, in verse 11. And in verse 12 and 13 through 12 through 14, it begins the application. But here's what you cannot do. You don't run to the application without understanding what you are to apply. And I've been under too much preaching and probably have been, well, have been guilty of it, uh, exhorting you to do, 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 do without you knowing why or without knowing what is behind the do. And so Paul would make sure that we understand our position in Christ long before we try to live the practice of Christ. And until we understand this, then verse 12 through 14, you're not going to be able to do it. And so verse 11 then tells us that we must consider. And the word consider, it means to bear in mind, to reckon, to calculate, to take inventory. It is an objective term that means the Christian life must be lived out of objective truth, not subjective experience. That's extremely important. Because we live in a world, that, in a Christian world, if we can say that, that is all about subjective experience. And, and don't, dismiss, don't misunderstand me. Christianity is experiential is that we are to have subjective experiences with God. But you cannot allow subjective experience to be the litmus test or the interpreter of biblical truth. Because subjective experience can take you to places that are not biblical. Or worse yet, you can take subjective experience and you'll try to find a verse to match your experience. And what that is, is just absolutely eisegesis that corrupts the gospel. And so Paul would have us in verse 11, he tells us, listen, this is what objectively had happened to you. Christ died in time and space in history. You died with him in time and space in history. 
He rose in time and space in history. You rose with him in time and space in history. Not obviously literally. But there certainly is this spiritual mystery that God sees us dying with Christ unto sin, rising with him so that we would live above sin. And that's Paul's whole argument in chapter 6, verse 1 and 10. I want to help you today if you're a Christian. If you're struggling with a besetting sin or if you're struggling in areas and you seem to be just falling constantly to the same thing over and over and over and you have tried your hardest to defeat that, I want to help you to understand that there is a power given to you that is not of yourself to break that bondage. And to allow you to live the Christian life as is defined in verses 1 through 10. But you have to understand, it begins in your thinking. It doesn't begin in your feeling. And if you try to gauge your spiritual life on your feelings or emotions, then you are like going to Six Flags and riding a roller coaster. You're going to be all over the place. And you're not going to be in a place, a good place... And you're not going to be a good testimony for Christ because you're going to be as unstable as water. Paul is going to provide for us, as he did in verses 1 through 10, summarized in verse 11, what has happened to us. That's why I think Romans 6 is so important. And if you go, as we could continue to go through Romans and we get to chapter 12 in the year 2026, um, we are going to find that the very first exhortation is of the mind. Therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How you think determines how you live. How you think is determined by what you believe. And it's based on biblical truth that is objective first that produces subjective experience. Let's take a look then what we're going to look at here. So in verses 12 through 13, um, he's going to unfold for us the first practical application of verses 1 through 10. But notice what, what he says here. He's not talking about some conduct. He's talking about, he's talking about what is happening inside of us. He's talking about a war, a war that we must fight, and we must do so by choice. By choice, and we'll see that here in a minute. But, but I, I, I think it's important, and I want to just build on this just for a second, is that um, the word consider there, in verse 11, you know what Paul's actually doing? He's actually rehearsing the gospel. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. There is the crucifixion, and there is the resurrection. Is that He is telling the Romans and telling us, you must think, consider, ponder, reflect upon the gospel. And you must do that every day. And if you're not a Christian who is rehearsing the gospel every day, I died with Christ. He died, uh, he died to, for sin so that I would die to sin. I rose with Christ. Because he rose, like Paul, I can know the power of his resurrection, which conquers sin in my life. And that's how the gospel is applied. And the gospel is not just to get people saved. The gospel is for the Christian to live the saved life. And so when you look at that, that, that verb, consider, then it is a rehearsing of the gospel. And, and I say that, why do we have to tell ourselves the gospel every day? And I would answer my question to you with a question. Uh, that's probably not right, but... 
I would look at you and say, well, how do you fight the accusations of the devil? And how do you fight a condemning conscience? And how do you fight temptation in the world? And if you look at me and you don't say the gospel, then you are losing in every one of those areas. Because it's only the gospel that silences the accusations of the devil. It's only the gospel, as Revelation 12.10 tells us, that the devil like a, travels around day and night accusing the brethren. How do you silence the, the, the accuser? And the verse goes on to say, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the testimony of themselves. And the blood of the lamb is pointing to the gospel. And so if, if you're going to live the Christian life, not shackled to the sin that God has broken in your life, then you must take verse 11, which summarizes verses 1 through 10, and you must apply the gospel in your life every day. Share the gospel with the unsaved and preach it to yourself. Jerry Bridges, he wrote an excellent book. I don't, I've never found a book Jerry Bridges uh, wrote that's not excellent. And so read all that he wrote. I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. And here's what he said in his book called The Gospel for Real Life. Quote, All of us, regardless of how long we have known Christ, need to bathe ourselves in the gospel every day. End quote. Note the words, bathe ourselves in the gospel every day. And that's really what verses 1 through 10 is. Dying with Christ, raising with Christ, to walk in newness of life. And then you might say, which I did, I said, okay, Paul, I got that. I am considering, I am pondering, I am preaching the gospel to myself every day. Okay, now, Paul, tell me how to live that. Tell me how to apply that every day. Well, that begins in verse 12. In verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You know what the, the underlying theme in these verses and the first application? It's about submission. It's about submission. It's not about you go and pass out 100 tracts. Nothing wrong with that. It's not about you uh, signing up for some ministry and doing so. It's not that. Paul says the very first thing about living the gospel is that you've got to understand it's a battle of submission. It is a battle of submission. And in this text, verses 12 through 13, there are three imperatives. There's a let not, there's a present not, and then there's a present. And within that are three applications. Mortal body, members of the body, and our entire being. And what we find Paul doing as we link this back to verses 1 through 10 and 11 is Paul is giving instruction before application. There's always should be exposition before exhortation. We should always not give our people call to action without laying the foundation for which the action is called for. And that's what he's doing. And the key to understanding verses 12 through 13 is in verse 14. Because in verse 14 is another summary. Just like verse 11 was a summary of 1 through 10, Verse 14 is a summary of 12 through 13. He says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And now we want to look at this. And from verses 12 through 13, we get two things by way of application. The first one is the believer's responsibility. 
the believer's responsibility. So far, all we've done, all Paul has done, is that one, chapters 1 through 3 up to verse 21, he has condemned humanity. And then from 21 through the end of chapter 4, he has defined uh, a righteousness by faith through the example of Abraham. And then in chapter 5, he identifies the two humanities. Nowhere do we find an exhortation for us to do something. But there's a lot for us to know. Because knowing always leads to doing. If you're a healthy Christian. If, if all you're getting though, and this is important, if all you're getting is knowledge, I like what Alistair Beggs said sometime, well, a time ago. He says, if all you're getting is knowledge, you're a tadpole Christian. <laughs> Big head, little body. Big head, little body. And think about that for a minute. If all we get is knowledge, if all we're getting out of Romans 1 uh, through uh, 5, if all we're getting is knowledge about the sin of the world, knowledge even about our own sin, knowledge about what it means to be an Adam, what it means in Christ, if that knowledge doesn't lead to the application from Romans 6, you know what happens to Christians that know truth, that don't do truth? You get a hard heart. You get a hard heart. And so to prevent that hard heart, Paul would give us the steps of application. And it begins with submission. The whole of the Christian life, from start to finish, from salvation uh, to glorification, is a battle of submission. Every day you're in a war. And you're in a war of submission. It's a submission to God's will or your will. And I must confess, there's too many times that I've prayed, nevertheless, Lord, my will, not your will, be done. And you have done that as well. And that's the battle. But let's take a look at what he says here. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. Those are two imperatives that we are responsible to obey. And it's, it's, in, the, in the exhortations, in the extra, in the uh, commands, the imperatives of 12 and 13, there's the negative, let not, present not, and then there's the positive, present or yield. So we have both sides of this. So what are we confronted with? We are confronted with the greatest power known to the Christian. The greatest power known to, to us is the power of choice. Outside of Jesus Christ, you have no power to choose. You have to be regenerated. You have to experience new birth. And Paul would say, because of verses 1 through 10, you're in Christ, you now have the power of choice. And not only do you have the power of choice, but you are accountable to choose. I am as close to Jesus Christ today as I choose to be. God has not moved. God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Christians just say, well, I just want to know the Lord. My next question to them is, well, what are you doing to know him? Are you disciplining yourself in the, in the in Bible, in prayer? Are you disciplining yourself, as Paul would say, in, in verses 12 through 13, in submission? Well, I'm, it, you can't say, I want to know the Lord, and then you're a spiritually lazy Christian. I know that's kind of harsh to say, but it is Pastor Appreciation Month, so I can say whatever I want to say. And, and so... <laughs> what was that? Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. So yeah, if it's not the gospel, then you need a new guy. Okay, so let's take a look at this. Uh, first off, the negative. Submit our bodies and members to sin and unrighteousness. That's a choice we can make. We can do that. 
And every one of us as Christians have sadly experienced that we did this. He says, let not sin therefore reign. This is language, this is military language of warfare all throughout this. And Paul would use language throughout his letters of warfare. And so because of this, he's saying, listen, do battle. Don't let this happen to you. Now for him to say, let not sin, that means that we can. Even as Christians, we can let sin reign, never have dominion, but reign over us. Now he says, your mortal body. Your mortal body and its members. Some would translate this as our whole being. Uh, I don't think that's correct. Because if that's true, then he's saying that our soul is mortal and it's not. So he can't say that the mortal body includes our soul. So when, when, he, reads, when he says mortal body to obey you, to you obey his passions and do not present your members, we have, to turn, we have to take this literally. It's about the physical body. It's about the physical body. And think about how sin is played out in our lives. It's through the members. It's through our bodies. And largely, it's through our senses that feed the corrupt heart. How did Paul bring condemnation to all the world in Romans chapter 3? He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Those are all physical things. And he would condemn the world by sin coming through our senses. And Paul is saying to us, don't let your body or its members, your eyes, your hands, your tongue, your feet, don't let your mind, do not let it become venues of sin any longer. Because you're in Christ, you don't do that anymore. Now think about how the senses have brought, brought, brought sin. Think about your own life and go through the scripture. How did the devil attack Eve? Through the senses. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, she took its fruit and ate. Tempted through the eyes. The eyes are the inlet to sin. Job has said, I have made a promise or a covenant that I will not look upon a virgin or I will not look upon a maze, a, 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 a girl. So the eyes, that's one, that's what happened to Eve. The Apostle John would tell us the same thing, that the members of the body are, 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 are the avenues in which sin is fleshed out. John would say in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, members of our body, and the desires of the eyes. You know what? Francis Schaeffer, uh, he, uh, he wrote um, a book called uh, True Spirituality. And he would argue that the last commandment in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, that is the one that fuels, or I should say, leads to the disobedience of all the other ones. You know what the last one is? Thou shalt not covet. He's right. And how does coveting present itself? Often through the eyes. We see, what we, we see something we want, or we see a relationship that we want, and so the eyes. And Paul says, let not your mortal body and its members lead you to sin. And he's saying this to believers. What about David? How did David commit sin with Bathsheba? One, he was in the wrong place. He should have been with his guys at war. But what did he do? He stands up 
from the couch. He walks out on the porch, and what does he see? He sees a beautiful woman. David's eyes led to the sin of Bathsheba. And so it's clear that we see that our senses, and that's what Paul is warning us to. And all of us face that every day. We don't need a devil to tempt us. We have a world that has gone mad that is constantly tempting us. And tempting us in the whole whole arena. I don't have to go through the list of it. Think about your own life, how you're tempted every day. And it's tempted through the senses, largely the senses that feed the heart. And then Paul says, listen, you have a choice. You can let sin reign in you. Verse 12, let it not happen. You were not called to this. You have been called otherwise. And if you look at these, uh, the, the verse 12 again, there's two ways that Christians fall into sin. And he addresses those. One is passively. He says, let not sin. The picture there is just letting go. When we're refueling at sea, when at sea all those many, many times, some of you that was in the Navy been at sea, Andrew and, and, and Captain Carter, when, when you're at sea and you're refueling, you're restricted in your maneuverability. You're alongside the oiler, you're steaming at 13, 16 knots, and you got the fuel lines over. You send, you send the uh, shot line over and you draw the fuel lines. The next thing you know, for four hours, you're restricted and you're moving. You can't, you're, you're, you're going with the oiler and she's, she's loading you up. And we were refueling every three days and you know, taking on 250,000 gallons of fuel every three days. And, and so you're in this, this formation and you're restricted in your movability. When we're done, what happens? They, we, we call back the, uh, the, the fuel lines and you let go the lines and the oiler stays on a steady course and we just, uh, we, we floor it and we go away. We let go of what was restricting us. Paul says, let it go. Let not sin reign. Don't stay shackled to the very things that Romans 6, 1 through 10 freed you from. And here is where it gets really dicey for us. These are commands. No one can say, well, I just can't overcome that as a Christian. I've had Christians say, I just can't forgive that person. Friends, it's not a matter of I can't. It's a matter of I won't. And that's because of what happened in Romans 6, 1 through 10. Is that we are dead to sin and alive unto God. So then we sin two ways. One passively, verse 12, we let it. But notice in verse 13, sadly we actively sin. He says passively let not sin. Then he says do not present. That is a pre- present is an active verb, continual action with no completion. And he says it, don't, don't present your body members to sin. Don't present uh, your, your mind. Don't present your tongue. Don't present your feet. Don't don't present your hand, your finger, to click on that website you shouldn't. We know that in our world today, that pornography is a real issue. It's a real issue in the church too. Surveys say, and you can take that for what it's worth, I know that's not the case here, but survey says that one of four pastors are enslaved to pornography. And the pornography is a real issue, and it's not just men. There's an increasing number of women. And Christians are finding themselves 
suffering from, from pornography. And if you look at me and you try to say, if you're someone, that, and I've had, I've had guys that have been honest and talked to me. And so I, I want to say, and I will have and have said this, is that you are enslaved to that by choice. Oh, no, no, no. yes, you are. Because my Bible says that you died to this and that you rose with Christ and that you're commanded to not present your members. That, I'm, I'm harping on pornography, but it could be anything. But pornography is such an industry in our world today. The revenues from that is off the scale. And it, it, it is destroying families. It is destroying marriages. And it is destroying society. And as a result of this, Christians have been given the, the, the bad counsel that it's an addiction that I can't break. No, no, the Bible says don't let it rain you and quit clicking. That's what it says. So Paul would give these exhortations to the Christian because you're dead to, with Christ and you're raised from the dead, you have the power of his resurrection that you don't have to passively give into this, letting sin reign, and you don't have to actively present it by doing it on purpose. And so there's a passive side of, of not resisting. That's what he's saying. And there's an active side of resisting. And that's the negative uh, uh, exhortations and negative imperatives. And if we're going to get a hold of that, if we're going to get a hold of that, we must constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We live, as you know, in a culture of entitlement and a culture of victimization. Everybody's a victim. It's not my fault. Or an entitlement. I, I'm owed this. You're, we're all owed hell. That's what we deserve. And so don't think we deserve anything. But what happens to that entitlement culture and that culture that is a victim is that it has poisoned the mind of Christians to where we're even, we think that I'm a victim. Friends, this is hard truth. But we are enslaved as Christians to sin because we choose to. And Paul says, let not sin reign. Do not present. Now, is this, a, is this a battle? Absolutely. Every single day of your life, you're in the battle of your life. Because you have within you the remnants of Adam that never wants to obey, that always wants to kick against the goads, so to speak. And that you've got to determine every day of your life. That's why Jesus said there will be few that find it. Because you have to fight as if your life depends upon it, because it does. But it's not a fight to gain heaven. It's a fight because the king of heaven lives within you. And that as you fight this fight, you must understand, and I must understand, every day of the Christian life is lived on a battleground, not a playground. We don't live in a playground. And there's so much, not only are we consumed with sex in our culture, but we are consumed with pleasure and entertainment. And comfort to the point that is that we know so little about this fight that we're called to. So little. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. I think Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through 24 is the perfect complement to Romans chapter 6. Because in Romans chapter 6 we're told about the old self being put off 
and the new self in Christ being put on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul would tell us the same thing. He said, because you're in Christ, put off and put on. Let's read it, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, now when he says that, when he says that, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, the exhortation implies that you could, that you could go back. Now, if you are a true Christian and you try to go back, you're going to be miserable. And you're, going to ha- you're not going to do that for long. Is that God's chastisement and His love is going to bring you back. Let's go on. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, but this is not the way you learn Christ. Now, let's superimpose Romans 6 upon this. And what did we learn of Christ? I died with him. I rose with him. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, again, impose Romans 6. Overimpose. To put off your old self, that's what he says. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, Adam, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There's the word consider. To ponder. And verse 24, and to put on the new self. Now notice in verse 22 through 24, there are personal responsibilities. We are responsible to put off the old self. Now if we don't do verse 22 and 23, and we're putting off old self, you know what that's called? That's called morality. That's not called Christianity. And then verse 23, or I'm sorry, 24, he says to put on the new self. What's in between? Verse 23, this is how it happens. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Because if you're going to let not sin reign, if you're going to not present your members, do you know where it starts? Right there. In your thinking. When it's late at night and everyone's in bed and you're at your computer on your laptop and the temptation to click, you know where the no starts? In your mind. It starts by you telling yourself the objective truth of the gospel. I don't have to do this. And not only do I not have to do this, I don't really want to do it. There's a part of me that does, but the war says it's stronger because I'm in Christ. It's stronger. I don't have to do this. I won't. Good night. And Paul says, you put that off. He says, you put on what God has done in you in Christ, and you do that by right thinking. And there are so many Christians that I fear that are so mindless that we're so shallow that we don't have no attention span whatsoever. And here's the problem in much of our Christianity. It's not that we are committing these overt sins. We're just passive in committing sins of omission right and left. We're just not obeying what we know to obey. And we've mistaken Christianity and think it's morality. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. That's not Christianity. Christianity is an aggressive warfare against sin that you do not let sin reign and you do not present your members unto righteousness. I don't think we're going to see much change until we understand that we are responsible for the putting off and the putting on. And we can't let the world infiltrate us and say, well, it's not my fault I'm like this. And we can't say as Christians, it's not, I, can't, I can't overcome this sin. 
And it doesn't have to be pornography. It could be anger. It could be impatience. It could be irritation. Uh, all the ones that we don't like to talk about that are so easy to do. How about this one? You don't have to complain. Don't leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true, Heather. But, but think about it. Because of the power of choice we have in Christ, we don't have to covet. We don't have to look. We don't have to think. And we don't have to act like we do. But the problem is, as I mentioned this a couple of times, I just think that we're just lazy. <laughs> and I, I, I don't say you. I said we. Is that we, we just don't fight the warfare as we do. And we think that, oh, uh, the, the, that our warfare is that God give me strength to get through a hard day. That's not the warfare. The warfare, the warfare is the war that's in your heart every day for the place of Christ in your affections. That's the war. And if you let sin reign and you present your body and your members to commit sins of the hands, of the tongue, of the feet, of the mind, if you let that, then what's happening is your affections are attached more to your flesh and the world than it is to Christ. And the only way to expel that or to bring that under control is verse 13. The back part of verse 13. And that leads to the second point. Paul would give us these, these exhortations or these imperatives, and he starts with a negative. Don't be passive in your Christianity. And by the way, if you're not fighting against sin, and you're not fighting against uh, your flesh, then you are losing to your flesh. You're either swimming against it, or the current's swimming you down. Sinclair Ferguson said this, quote, What then is the killing of sin? It is the constant battle against sin which we fight daily. The refusal to allow the eye to wander, the mind to contemplate, the affections to run after anything which will draw us away from Christ. It is the deliberate rejection of any sinful thought, suggestion, desire, aspiration, deed, circumstance, or provocation at the moment we become conscious of its existence. This instruction... Is a call to action. Now, I don't want you to sit there and be all defeated and say, man, that is like impossible. I got 42,000 thoughts coming through my mind and I got them right now. I don't know how to do this. You have just, you have just taken the first step to understand how to overcome. Your total inability, your total lack of resources, because that draws you to where Paul would say, his grace is sufficient. But let's take a look here at this, um, the positive side. The, the, the last part of verse 13. The word there but, but present yourself to God, those who've been brought from dead, death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, there is, uh, there's, there's some parallels. Instruments is repeated as it was in the first one, the negative, or the members of our body. But notice what is, what is different about this. Is that Paul would say in the negative, don't present your members, your, your, the, the parts of your body to sin. But he says in verse 13, the first thing that you submit in the battle is not your members, it's yourself. It's yourself. He says, but present or yield or offer yourselves to God. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it because you've already, God's already answered it for you. Is it, here's the question to you. 
Is there an area in your life right now that you know that you're battling God over that you don't want to give up? Is there something in your life right now? It may be commitment to the church. It may be commitment to his word. It may be commitment to reconciliation. Whatever it may be, is there something in your life that you are struggling with that you know God wants you not to deal with that or not to do that or to harbor that? Is there something in your life that you are not submitting to him? Every one of us have been down that road. Every one of us has been down that road. And if that's the case, then look where it starts. Paul says, present part of yourself to God and hold on to the part that you want. That's not what he says. He says, present yourself. And he would go on in Romans chapter 12, and the first exhortation is to present your bodies, which is not just a physical, but the entirety of your being to, to, uh, to, to God. So as Christ gave a full sacrifice for our salvation, you must give a full sacrifice for your sanctification. There's no holding anything back. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. The list could go on and on. And the fact of the matter is simply this. Is if we're going to obey the gospel, 6, 1 through 10, then not only do we have to do the negative restraints, we have to do the positive steps of submitting ourselves in entirety to God. And oh, by the way, that happens every day. It's not one and done. Paul says, I die daily, and that's what the call is. And it's a call that is hard. I'm not trying to make it easy. It's not. Don't you think that this is one of the great aspects of heaven? Is that we're not going to have to deal with the person we see in the mirror anymore. We're not going to have to deal with us. I'm not talking about me dealing with you. I'm talking about us, you know. Remember, it's Pastor's Appreciation Month. You gotta, I'm going to remind you of that. So, you know, um, but think about it. Don't you get tired of dealing with yourself? Don't you get tired of failing obedience? Don't you get tired of not loving the Lord as He deserves to be loved? Doesn't it grieve your soul that you want to worship Him in spirit and truth in, in entirety? And that when you read Revelation 4 and 5, you're yearning for home. You're just yearning. I want to be there and to see him and to be like him to where I don't have any more battles of unbelief. I don't have any more battles of fear. I don't have any more of this, this, the, 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 the world. I don't have any more of that. And that's the mark of a Christian who has surrendered everything. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, so if you're able to come back, uh, I'm going to preach on uh, the, the Pilgrim Journey. And we're going to talk about uh, where Jesus... Uh, Wow, it's, it's only 22. I can talk about it then. Uh, uh, so, if you look at the, um, where Jesus says uh, in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to talk about the in-between. He's the author, he's the finisher. What about in-between? That's the pilgrim's journey. And so we'll talk about that tonight. And so, but that mindset has to grip, grip us. The reason why we don't surrender all of ourselves to him and all of our material possessions, our vocations, our families, our time, everything. The reason why we don't is because we actually kind of think that this is all there is to it. We kind of think that this world is it. Now you say, well, no, it's not true. I'm headed to heaven. Well, are you traveling light? There's no check baggage. You don't, you just, we're not. And so Paul would give the positive that you first must yield yourself. Yield yourself. 
all your dreams, all your desires, all your expectations, all your burdens, you got to lay them at the foot of the cross and you got to keep them there. And before you get discouraged about that, let me tell you, whatever you're holding on to your life, that will be a joy stealer. Whatever you give up to the Lord in totality of your person will be a joy producer. Your greatest joy will be wearing the yoke of Jesus Christ, not trying to wear two yokes, yours and his. And your greatest pleasure and greatest satisfaction in life will not be the attaining of things in life. It will be by able to say in your Gethsemane, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And so Paul would say, first and foremost, if you're going to live out the gospel, if you're going to make application of your union in Christ, you must negatively not let sin reign passively, and you must not actively let your body members sin. And the first thing in the positive, you must commit yourself totally to Him. Now, I, I, I think this is so important because you're not your own. And we've got to get a hold of that too. If you were to, if you were to uh, corner me and say, what are the two most important attitudes or, or um, important words that would define the Christian in relationship to Jesus Christ, I would say two words. Submission and bought. Submission and bought. And Paul, if you now look at the, the remainder of verse 13, he says... After you've yielded yourself, totally, now he models what he already said in verse 13 about the negative. He says, yield your members or your body to God as instruments for righteousness. And so how do you do that? It begins with the mindset, understanding that you are bought. That we are indeed not our own. Paul would tell the Corinthians, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And when you're tempted to sin, and you're tempted for the world to shape you and its values, and you're tempted to follow the line of the fool's gold of this world, you can look at all those things, and you can say, well, wait a minute. I'm not my own. I've been bought. Christ bought me. I don't have the right to choose. I had the right to choose whether I'm going to sin, whether I'm going to be righteous, but I don't have the right to choose my life. I don't have the right to choose my path. Now, I'm not saying don't be prudent and wise, but don't lay out your best plans for your life and then offer God a, a, a prayer of thank you, Lord, and guide me and say, well, I prayed, you know, and the Lord's guiding me. Don't do that. Oftentimes, I think we have our plans laid out and what we want to happen, and then we just ask God to come alongside and bless our will. That, that you can't do that. And by the way, uh, oftentimes, that His will is going to conflict with your will, and you're going to have to fight your will away in surrender to Him, and it may not be what you want. Now, let me go even further. It'll probably be not you want because God is not interested in your comfort and your will to be done. He's interested in your conformity to the Lord Jesus and His will be done. Now, please don't walk away and don't email me because it is Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't email me and say, you said God, God is not interested in our comfort. Yes, He is. But He will comfort you in measures that you do not know when you surrender to His will and He works the fiery furnaces of affliction making you like his son that's when you'll know real comfort 
Don't think you're going to know comfort if you're kicking against his will because you want your will done. And Paul says, you submit yourself totally to him. Not just your actions, but your attitudes and your life. And then he says, present your members as instruments of righteousness. And the only way that you can do that is by remembering the gospel. And remembering the gospel not only saved you, but the gospel bought you. That, that, the God-man that hung on the tree to forgive us our sins, hung on the tree to purchase a people that would be forever in his family unto the praise of his glory. And that isn't just waiting for the great scene of worship in heaven. That's now. That's every day a yielding of ourselves. Let not sin reign so that we in turn could produce works of righteousness as he works through us. All right, verse 14, we'll finish. So we've seen the negative application. We've seen the positive. And now we see the reminder once again of our position. And this is also a summary verse. Like 11 was a summary verse of 1 through 10. Verse 14 is a summary verse of 12 through 13. And Paul says this, for sin will not have dominion over you. Why? Because you're not letting sin reign. Secondly, you're yielding yourselves to God. He said, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And there's two things to constantly remember. Number one, sin is conquered. Dominion is used twice in chapter uh, 6. It's a military term uh, uh, of conquering and of rule. It means to exercise uh, control or govern over. And Paul says in verse 14, that's over. That's, victory has come. You walk in the victory that Christ has given you. Sin has been conquered. And because sin is conquered, that means that death is conquered. And we offer the world a great message. We have the answer to death. And no matter what's going on out there in the world, no matter how debauched it is, every one of those people are two things. One, they're image bearers. And second, they're going to die unless Christ comes. And so because we had the victory over death, we have, we have great news to go out there and tell people. But we won't, we won't do that if 12 and 13 are not applicable in our lives. Because we're going to be shackled to the very thing that Christ conquered. And that and he ends with the good news that grace rules. He says, since you are not under law but under grace. I get a picture of us being protected. The umbrella of grace is over us. And it protects us. And it's going to take us all the way home. And so God may, may, as we look at these applications, we're going to get more application beginning in verse 15. We're going to talk about slavery. You know, that, and it, it, it ties into what we are. We're bought by Christ, but slavery. And so, but, but today I want you to, to, to walk away with understanding this. You are responsible. If you're a Christian, I'm responsible not to let sin reign. I'm called to fight against it. And how do I fight against it? Not by pulling up my spiritual bootstraps. I fight against him by remembering what happened to me in Christ. I died with him. I rose with him. And thus the power of the resurrection is there so that I can live above the sin that would easily beset us and cause us to not only to tarnish our testimony, but to steal our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us and Thank you for your great, great uh, promises that we have. 
And we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are uh, faithful to your word. Father, as you've given us the power to overcome sin, help us not to be shaped by our culture that we're victims, that we're, we're not. We're not victims, we're victors. And because of Christ and his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.